It says in the Bible that young men see visions, the old men dream dreams. You just heard the vision. I guess now you'll hear the dreams. The, uh, I guess dreams are reflections. It goes back to things that have happened before. You think about things that have happened in life. And the older you are, the more such things there are to remember. And so today I remembered. I've answered a question today that I've never had to answer in my life. But the orthopedic surgeon who's anticipating repairing a serious damage there that my wife has on her left side said, I'm sorry, but I need to ask you, he said, sometimes things happen during surgery. And we need to hear you tell us if you want us to become involved in resuscitation and restoring if life please during this operation or if we should let things go. And we wonder what you want us to do. So my wife looked at me and I looked at her. It was not an easy question to answer. How would you have answered that? And then my mind went back many years ago. 1975. In that same emergency room, in that same hospital. They probably have rebuilt it several times since then, but it was the emergency room of that same hospital. And uh, my wife was uh, at that time bleeding profusely. And the, we lived right near the state police barracks there in Jonestown, Pennsylvania. And I pulled in there with my wife bleeding on the back seat and they gave me a trooper there with his cruiser and he went down the highway 72 there south towards Lebanon asking if he thought I could keep after him with my Plymouth automobile. I remember he went down to the center of the road and he took the traffic off the highway going the same direction we were south and those coming north. He took everyone off the road. We drove in the center. We came to the city of limits of Lebanon. The speed limit said 35 miles an hour. I looked at my speedometer. We were going 85 at that point. We went through every red light. We got to the emergency room. The people were outside waiting with a stretcher to take my wife in. But what I remember is this. That as we had just a few moments together before they took her on into surgery, she gave me her funeral arrangements. Because the doctor said, I'm sorry, but we cannot promise you anything. I still remember some of the things that she gave me at that time. That was quite a few years ago. And that was the last then, because of that tremendous damage in my wife's womb and ovaries, that was the last time she ever, it ever occurred to her as it does in the manner of women, like the Bible says. And so that was the last of our children. But there was anointing service because they told us after surgery that though she was still living, she would have to be remain immovable without moving her legs or her body for six weeks. And we had an anointing service for her in that hospital bed in that same hospital there in Lebanon. And uh, three weeks later, she was doing her housework. And then 17 years later, Contrary to all science, my wife was carrying a little fetus that was already four months old when we discovered it was there. And and then three months later, a baby two months premature was born. And she is now 25 years old. Memories from the Good Samaritan Hospital in Lebanon. So old men dream dreams and remember things. And so it's kind of interesting how this, these events develop these days. But I just want to, on her behalf and my own and the families, express appreciation for your prayers. I told you that we just felt a need as we were in Costa Rica thinking about this tent meeting. And we want to just bring a series of messages here on God, who God is, what God is like, 
our knowing him, how we know him, our relationship to him, our responsibility to him, our availability to him, our communion with him, our walking with him, with our God. Just thought it would be important to do that here in this tent these days. So that's what we have in mind again tonight. Some of these thoughts I have here I've shared before on another occasion, but never at an audience like this. And so tonight I want to do that. You can open your Bibles to Psalm 67. I will read this psalm after a while. I'll make some introductory comments first. I had the opportunity to uh, become aware of a 1040 window in the Western Hemisphere. This 1040 window is normally over there in Asia between the 10th and 40th parallel north of the equator where the largest number of unreached people groups live in such places as Mongolia and India and Bangladesh and Pakistan and China. That large area there of Asia into the Middle East, unreached by the gospel. But over here in the Americas, there are also some 1040 windows. And we learned that there's a place in Peru, an area nearly the size of Texas, that was virtually never reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so it was our desire to uh, see churches begun in that section of, of God's world. And so by being there and studying that situation, becoming aware of the climate and situation these people were in, we did a considerable studying concerning the Inca Indians that lived there that gave us the Quechua language. And so it was that uh, I learned about Pachacutec. Pachacutec was the fifth Inca. The word Inca means son of the sun, S-O-N of the S-U-N. And this Pachacutec has been compared to Moses as one of the greatest leaders the world has ever known. And so I don't know if you know that or not, but even sociologists, secular sociologists and historians give great credit to Moses as a tremendous leader of people. And Pachacutec has been compared with him. What each of them did for their respective peoples is almost without precedent in human history. I just read through the story of Moses in the Bible. And when you get to the last chapter of Deuteronomy, chapter 32, and you go up to Mount Pisgah and you see the Lord bury this great man who for 120 years had lived. And 40 of those years under God's anointing and 80 of those years in preparation and many mistakes made in that time, and a few made afterwards. That's a tremendous story, and then this man dies, and you have to cry to attend his funeral when you get to the last chapter of Deuteronomy. But there was a big difference between these two men. Either one of them had a Bible, the inspired word of God. Neither one of them had any written revelation of the divine being. But there was a difference. Moses had a holy mother. And Pachacutec did not. He had only the natural world. He had the creation. With no one to help him interpret or explain its significance. No one there to explain what this world was all about. That he was living in. Only a pagan history. Jochebed, Moses' mother, was different. She believed God. She infused her faith into her son during that very, very small window of his life when they lived together in her home. She took care of that little boy for the king, Pharaoh's daughter. And so it must be that during that time she she taught this little fella. And though he had no godly influence upon his life for a long time after that, there must be at least four things that she taught him that he remembered. If you go to Hebrews chapter 11 and read what the Bible says about Moses in this early part of his life, when he coming to years refused to be called the son of a king's daughter, 
but chose to identify himself with the people of God, you'll find that he must have been aware of these four things. He must have known, been taught, who the only and true God really was. He must have known something about that. And he must have been taught, taught by his mother how to identify who the people of that true God are. Who are the people of that true God? And he must have learned through his mother how to recognize the voice of God wherever he to hear that voice. And then, somehow or another, that young fellow, little as he must have been, must have come to understand what God's plan for his own people were. And Moses had an understanding of that. And we find that in, this, in the development of his life when he made that decision to identify with the pilgrim people of God. So we find all that in Hebrews 11, verses 24 through 27. So learn the distinctive difference that identifies a Christian as opposed to a heathen. The one knows God. The other does not. But listen, tonight, there's no one here in Lebanon County that doesn't know God. You know, we can't, there probably is not very much of a 1040 situation in Lebanon County. Although there might be some people in our communities who have never heard of the Lord, have never heard of the gospel, have never heard of Jesus, who have never read a Bible. I don't know if you've ever met anybody that does not know one thing that's in a Bible. I've had the privilege of meeting quite a few people like that. And some of them have told me that. I have never heard. One person told me that until you came to my house and read me a story, I never knew anything that was ever in the Bible. That's the first Bible story I ever heard in my life. That's a tremendous thing to hear from somebody. I never heard. A mother came to me some years ago and told me that she looked into her daughter's bedroom and saw her sitting on the edge of her bed reading a Bible. And she said she had never seen anyone read a Bible before. And no Bible has ever been read in her house. And she saw, looked in there and saw her daughter reading her Bible. That daughter that she saw reading her Bible is a member of our congregation today. And married to one of our young men. But the mere knowledge that God exists does not make anyone a Christian. Just because we know there's a God up there, or even if we believe that he was a creator, or even if we believe that he sent his son to the world, or even if we believe that he, he's, he's done some very marvelous things, that does not make us a Christian. Our knowledge of the Holy One must result in union with Him. We, we must know Him and know Him personally. And not just about Him, but know Him. And there are probably very few people here that know Donald Trump. You've heard Him. You've heard His voice. You may have seen the picture of Him. I don't know if you've ever shaken His hand. But knowing Him is something else. And knowing Him is not life eternal, but knowing the true God is. Life eternal comes that way to each and every one of us. We must live in communion with Him. There must be a practical participation with God in our daily life. And we just heard about that. And these appropriate opening words that were spoken to us tonight. We must have that acquainted participation with God in our living. And so that's the reason why we were able to, we needed to answer the questions that we were asked this evening. What went across that screen? What was that lingering glance all about? Because we're participating with God in this. And and we are God to the extent that we look at what God would look at and listen to what God would listen to and turn our eyes away from that which God would not permit. We're godly to that extent. And when God is with us, when we are, as the Bible says, filled with the Holy Spirit, when we are filled with all the fullness of God, when we are, we, we know God in that way. That produces a godly life. That changes the habits. That changes the understanding. That changes the values. That changes the way we think about ourselves. A person who knows God that way is turned from a proud, haughty person. Uh, came off the airport there in Baltimore, Washington, late Saturday night or Saturday afternoon, evening it was there. And I was pushing his wheelchair. And... Uh, we were looking for a vehicle to come that maybe would pick us up and take us out of there. And, and you know, I was concerned about my wife's condition, and we, we had some luggage to take care of, too. It's not really easy to move luggage and wheelchairs at the same time. 
And I heard his voice behind me, his kind of rough voice, this kind of an impatient voice. And, and, uh, don't you know you're blocking the driveway? Don't you know you're blocking the path here? Move aside. So I tried to grab this wheelchair and, and do something with it. And that man had no wheelchair. And his wife was there and she was able to carry anything they wanted to carry. They could have stepped off to the side here and go on. There was no problem to get across that, across that curb. But we're so proud and the world moves around me and, and, and I make things happen. When I'm on the scene, it takes place. And not the man who knows God. There just has to be a difference there. There's an attitude towards ourselves and about ourselves and about others. You know, there's a lot of things that Philip could have done besides saying those words at, that, at such a moment as that. And yet, we all make those mistakes. The knowledge of the Holy One. We must have communion with Him. Faith is born. Not as we heard tonight, only because we heard the Word. As important as that is, that we hear it. But because we heard it as the Word of God. Last night, this meeting was opened. If I remember correctly, my mind was on a lot of things. But if I remember correctly, I heard these words. Now, the song leader, if he's here tonight, can tell me if I'm right or not. But I think I heard these words as I came into this tent. Break thou the bread of life, dear Lord, to me. As thou didst break the bread beside the sea. And then we sang, beyond the sacred page, I see thee, Lord. We see it as the word of God. We see it as God's word. And we don't only see it as that. As important as that is, that this is God's word, we see it as more than that. We're reading this book. And as we're reading it, we read these words. And as we read them, we understand what's being said here. But more than the reading of it. Look, look what I'm doing here. And beyond this page, I see the face of God. I hear the voice of our Lord Jesus. And it's as if he was saying these words to me from his mouth for the first time. First time ever said, said to me, and, and he's there speaking these words to me. And I receive those words as his words to me. It's not just a history book. It's not just an old, old story. It's not just something from the Old Testament. It's not something from the dust of the archives and from the angels of history. It's the word of the Lord to me afresh, as if it was the first person to whom it was ever spoken. And God's saying, I want you to receive this. I want this to be a blessing to you. And when you read your Bible that way, faith is sure to be born in your life. This is God speaking to me right now for me, giving me this word to my life. And that, that's when faith is born. When we understand that that's what God is doing in our lives. God has spoken, the Hebrew writer said. But some thought, some thought it thundered. It was God speaking, but some thought it thundered. They didn't hear God. They didn't know God spoke. They didn't know it was the voice of the Holy One. They were not taught like Moses. Recognize the voice of God when he speaks. They did not hear God. Without faith in God, the truth of Scripture is like lightning to the blind. I talked to a blind girl on the phone today. She was one of my school students many years ago. Brother Dale, if I look at a window, I see a little bit of light. And for a while, I was even able to see a few colors, but that's all gone now. And, but I wish you would come to see me because I want to see you. Isn't that amazing? I want to see you. I want you to come to our house to see you. And I think I understand what she means. Because you see, what we truly see in life is not necessarily what the optical nerve carries to our brain. But we, we can know and have communion. And understand. And walk in the light. 
and be loved by each other and feel a need for each other and feel the blessing that one another gives to our lives. And we can see each other, even though we're blind. But the truth of Scripture, if we're not walking in obedience and living with God, it's like lightning to the blind or like thunder to the deaf. We don't hear it or see it. God must become real to us. And what must surely have happened to Moses, sometime and place in his life, and possibly at a burning bush, must happen to each one of us. This God we've heard about, this God that others have seemingly met, this God whom others are seemingly serving, has to somehow or another become my own God. He must become God to me. That brings us then to the text of the evening. May I read to you these verses in Psalm 67. There are seven verses here. God be merciful unto us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us, Selah, that thy way may be known upon the earth, thy saving health among all nations. Let the people praise thee, O God, let all the people praise thee. O let the nations be glad and sing for joy, that for thou shalt judge the people righteously and govern the nations upon the earth, Selah. Let the people praise thee, O God, let all the people praise thee. Then shall the earth yield her increasing God, even our own God shall bless us. God shall bless us, and all the ends of the earth shall fear him. This is kind of a a missionary psalm. We have God's plans here. Global plans for evangelization across all the nations. He speaks here of these words. Notice what he says. The nations. All nations. The people. All the people. We read here of all the ends of the earth. God governs the nations. And verses 3 and 5, which are exactly the same, listen to these words. Let the people praise thee. O God, let all the people praise thee. And we heard tonight that's a great blessing when someone who has never known and has not heard, both hears and believes and understands and lives and changes his life because of the work of God within him. And these are the people he's speaking about in verses 3 and 5. These people who have not heard, these people that... Have, have, have not yet had this mercy extended to them. They have not understood it. Let them praise thee. Let all the people praise thee. Beautiful thoughts here that we're reading about. It leads to this whole, these holy results. Oh, let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for thou shalt judge the people righteously and govern the nations upon the earth. And verse 6 says, then shall the earth yield her increase, and God, even our own God, shall bless us. That's our title tonight, Our Own God. And those three words are the theme of this week's preaching in this tent. Our Own God. The only time those, those words are found in, in, the, in the, this particular version of the Bible. Our Own God. We want to speak about that tonight. Our Own God. In God, even our own God shall bless us. This is the God that Jochebed knew, Moses' mother. He was active in her life, the faithful God, the almighty God. In his goodness and mercy, blessing a dear mother. And listen, in a very distressing situation in the country of Egypt, where did she get the idea of a little ark? Placing it in the bulrushes, a three-month-old baby, Floating in the Nile River. Where did she get this idea? A maiden. The baby's own sister. Carefully watching the drama of history bubbling there upon the top of the water. Who could have orchestrated those events? Who could have planned such a thing? Who could have put together such a series of thoughts? Who could have had some ladies coming down by the riverside? Who could have had the king's daughter coming down looking in there? And recognizing it as one of the Hebrew babies upset her own father's design and pick that baby out and say, you know, look, look, look what I find here. And the little girl comes running up and said, excuse me, would you like someone to take care of your little baby? Well, yes, I'd like that. I think I can find a Hebrew mother that would do that. And she brings the little baby to her own mother. Who could have done that? I want to ask you something. Is God doing that in your life? Is that the God you know? 
Is he that active and concerned and interested in in taking care of you? Do you believe that? Do you trust him for it? Do you give him credit for it? Do you recognize his orchestrating of events in your own life? Do you see that? And this mother knew about this. Somehow or another she was aware of it. Somehow or another she was confident in this God. And she feared not the king's commandment. She did this by faith, the Bible tells us. That means, faith means two things. It tells us this in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. He that cometh to God must believe that he is, that the reward of them that diligently seek him. We might say more about this later, this week. But if you're not here later, you're here tonight. Those, verse, those verses, that verse tells us two things about God, about faith. Faith believes that no matter what I am facing, God is right now, right here. He believes that he is. Is where? Is what? He is right now available, right now aware, right now present. And the person that has that awareness is very, very different from the person who does not. And then it means, not only is he here, right now present, but he is able to do what we are not able to do. The rewarder of them that diligently seek him. He is able to do in us and right now for us what we cannot do for ourselves. This is God. And faith believes that. Though it knows not how. Though it cannot explain it because no one can explain an incomprehensible God. And there's no way that Jacobin could have ever told you what was going to happen when she put that little fellow out there in that basket and dropped him into the water. Left him floating among the bulrushes. There's no way she could have told you what's going to happen next. She went as far as her limited understanding could take her. And God took care of the rest. I ask you if you know that God tonight. If that's the God you're serving. If that's the God you love. If that's the God I love. That's what we have here. Very, very difficult times she was living in. The people that were engaged in that story. It's a very, very interesting thing. And God planned all that, and, and his, Moses' mother did not. And you and I don't plan it all either. Just the same in your life and mine. But do I have my very own God? Can I say that? My own God. Our own God. This mother was not alone in what she was doing. She did not depend upon her own resources. She did not face the demonic threat for the life of her baby boy alone. There was other help here. She saw he was a goodly child. She was not afraid of the king's commandment. She thought something should be done. She had a son three years before this. Didn't have to do that. That command hadn't come yet when Aaron was born. Three years later, Moses. She did not even name her son. Somebody else did that. Our help cometh from above. From whence cometh our help? It's amazing there, Psalm 121. If God be for us, who can be against us? And this heritage Moses received from his mother. And the Inca did not have his own God. Let's, let's look at this phrase. Our own God. Our own God shall bless us. Now, I want to ask you a question. It's not my theme for tonight necessarily. But because of the events of the day, I guess my mind brings me to this question. If we tonight would ask God to bless us, what would we expect God to do? If, uh, if this mother would take this little baby boy and drop him into the bubbly Nile River, what would she expect God to do if she was asking God to bless her? In the situations you're facing, which are different from my circumstances, and all of us are different, each of us has a story to tell tonight. What would you consider to be God's blessing upon your life? Oh, God would take care of my, take away my cancer. Oh, if God would bless me, I'd get a raise. Oh, if God would bless me, what would you expect God to do? And God, even our own God, shall bless us. Just think about that. It will do us good to think about that. What do you think he would do? It would be a marvelous thing 
If we could be God's. If God could say, my own people, my own son, my only begotten son. If God could say that. But here we say, our own God. Our own God. Listen to these next words. When he is our own God, we will know him as no one else in all the world will ever know us, will ever know him. And he will know us as he knows no one else. Do I need to repeat that so that you get that? When he is our own God, he is so individually our own. That we will know him as no one else in all the world will ever know him. And he will know us in a way that he knows nobody else. Now, I don't know what your name is. Are you about 13 years old? Would you be willing to stand? I'd like to talk about you a little bit. Would you stand? And you just turn around and look at these dear people. They won't hurt you. Look at these dear people. I want you to look at this young man. I want to say a few things about this boy. And would you please listen? This is the only one that God has made. There's no other one like him. In all the earth, and never will be. His mother's had... How many children? Only one like this one. Only one like this one. Six others, different from him. Millions and billions of people in the world. Not one other one like him. And when God made that little boy, he had plans in mind and gave capacities different from anybody else and placed him in a home, an environment, a community, a situation different from anyone else in the world. And were you to draw a circle around him and look what is inside his little 13-year-old life. There's no one in all the world that has the same circumstances and conditions and giftedness and opportunities that this boy has. The only one like it in all the world. If you don't believe it, check his fingerprints. He's the only one. You may sit down. Thank you very much, son. Wonderful. And that's not all. That's the beginning. He's the only one in all of the world that will ever be able to do for God what God created him to do. And if he doesn't do it, it will not get done the way God wants it done. He wants him to do it. Remember that, mother and daddy. You've got seven children to teach that to. You've got seven children to get that across to. You've got seven children to press that upon their minds. The only one. The only one. So you listen to this conversation going on in heaven. And I don't know how this happened. I just know it's recorded in the Bible, so I know it happened. I don't know how it happened. I know it happened. Uh, you two, right here, you go to Sodom. You take care of Sodom. You wipe that thing out. You take care of that. You three, go down to that tent. There's a man down there named Abraham. And I know him. That he will command his children and his household after him. You go there. He's the one that's going to pray and intercede. He is the one that's going to save Lot from the destruction that you two are going to bring. You get down and present the story. Then go over to Sodom and finish it off. And I know what he will do. And the life of Lot and his two daughters depended upon that conversation. And one thing more. Abraham's obedience to it. That's your life, young man. That's the way God does things. That's what God has in mind. An awful lot is hinging on you, you, and, you and myself being obedient to what God called us in this world to do. An awful lot is hinging upon that. Our own God 
in a way that no one else knows him. And him creating us and knowing us in a way that he knows nobody else. And when we get to know God that way. And when God gets to know us that way, it can be a very, very beautiful relationship. I want to encourage you to think about those thoughts. Our own God. Fellowship with God is a personal and an intimate experience. You see, your capacity is, I use this young man, but now yourself and myself. Our capacity, yours and mine, to know God. Your experience with God. Your time alone in His presence. His work in your life is distinctly your own. No one else has that same set of circumstances. There's a precious mother tonight who's a twin. I know both her and her twin sister. The twins, you know, are very much alike. I remember the day when I was able to distinguish their voices on the telephone. I could tell finally which one was the one and which one was the other. They looked very much alike. It took me a long time. I was their school teacher. It took me a long time to to tell them apart. In fact, there's several sets of twins like that here tonight. And I got to the place I could tell their voices apart. I knew that this one was him and that was the other one. But what God is doing in the life of those people, although they are identical twins, is distinctly their own. What he does in one is different from the other. And the plans that God has for one is different from the other. And both of us must know him as our own God. That's the point tonight. That's what I'm trying to get across to you. It's distinctly our own. You're the only one like you that God will ever create. And only you can fulfill the holy purpose God had in mind when he, when he did what he did. And gave your life to your mother and father. I had three brothers. We are very different in many ways. I wish I had some of the gifts that some of the others of them have. I'm just me. I have three sons. I still have three sons. The one is no longer with us. The one's in heaven. But he's still our son. He also is God's son. Those three boys are very different. Precious young men, but very different. And though we have the characteristics of our parents, and we have uh, many experiences in common, we are uniquely our own. I have only two daughters. The one is 20 and a half years older than the other one. They are very, very different. They're the same parents, and there are a lot of things alike about those two girls, but very, very different in other ways, and that's the work of God. And God's plans for one is different from the other. Some things will be the same in them both. But God has things in mind for each one of us. We must get to know him. And even though communion with God can and oftentimes is, as it was here tonight, and is tonight and these nights, a corporate experience with various people in touch with him together, yet our union with him must happen in a personal way. He wants to be our own God. And that's what he must be for each one of us. I hope we're getting this thought in mind, our own God, and what this means. So there were widows and lepers in Israel. Just get this thought in your mind. Just make some practical applications here. So Jesus comes and opens up the book of Isaiah there in the synagogue of Nazareth on the Sabbath day and begins to read this passage. He said, this day has fulfilled your ears. Then he said that there were many widows in the time of Elijah. And there were many lepers in the time of Elisha. But these widows and these lepers did not find out what that, those two foreigners found out. They, they went, had to go out of the country, had to go out from Israel and go to Seraphat and find this widow over there. And had to go down here to Syria and find this leprous man. And they had a relationship with God when that was all over. The others did not have. And they had a relationship with God different when all those other lepers and all those other widows had. And the rest of them could have had it. That relationship with God. And so God went out and found these foreigners out there. And they heard and believed. Jesus told that in his very first sermon. There were other mothers of the Hebrews who saw their little son's pinky toes disappearing beneath the waters of the Nile. There were other mothers, other Hebrew mothers. But one was Jacobed. She knew her own God. The others knew about God. 
They had heard stories about God. They knew there was a God. But this mother was in communion with God. She had faith in God. She was in a living relationship with God. It was distinct with this, with this mother. And Kachatuket did not have that. His other mothers feared the crocodiles in that river, just like Jochebed did. But this difference, her own God was directly involved in this unfolding drama that we looked at tonight. He is a sovereign. And the only potentate, 1 Timothy 6 tells us, he is king of kings and lord of lords, Revelation tells us. He is high and lofty and inhabits eternity, Isaiah tells us. He's not a grandpa. He's not a Santa Claus God. He does not give out candy canes and chocolate bars and silver dollars. That's not what God is doing. He's a holy God. He's a great God. He's a majestic God. He's a God to be worshipped. He's a God that's invincible and incomprehensible. And He's a God that's infinite. And He's a God that's eternal. And He's holy. And we can know Him. We can know Him. You see, if what we want from God is some spectacular event or some special favor or some financial jackpot or some kind of a lottery ticket that'll take us into what they call in this country financial freedom. If that's the God we want, we won't find him in God. We won't find him in this Bible God. We won't find him in the God that Jochebed do. We'll find a God that responds to our life of faith. We'll find a God who's who moves in the hearts of those who believe in him when the situation is difficult, and when the crocodiles are still crawling around on the shore, and when the bulrushers are waiting to receive the body of the baby, and when the thing is dark and difficult, and when the sentence is out against us, and, and, and we believe God. I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. Paul and Silas were in jail. Their backs were bleeding. They were beaten badly. That's midnight. They had no way to, to predict. They had no way of knowing that there's soon going to be an earthquake around here and this place is going to be shaken loose and chains are going to snap in half. They had no way of knowing the rocks are going to crash down and that this jailer is going to be wakened up. They had no idea they had a sword lying beside his bed. They did not know what he was going to do with that thing. They had no idea what God was about to do. They're simply locked up and in those sepals there and in those stocks. And Silas began singing a hymn. And Paul began joining in that hymn. Because he's our own God. And though we don't know what he's doing, and we don't know why we're here, we got this vision saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And they, they went over there, having no idea why. And here they are locked up. And we, we thought we're these missionaries. We've got this task to do for God. And so we're going to go out and spread the gospel. And here we are locked up. Well, Paul, I enjoyed singing that. That was a beautiful song. The prisoners heard them. And then they prayed. And God said, that's the opportunity that I need. I see faith in this prison cell. It's time for me to go to work. And the earthquake began to happen. And I don't know how many of you have ever experienced an earthquake, but I know what it's like. When the ground begins to shake and you can't stand on your feet, and things start crumbling all around you. And things fall over and fall down. And buildings come down. And feed bins fall over. And roofs go crashing down. And the earth opens up. It's an amazing story, an earthquake. And God said, I'm going to take care of my two boys. My own God. Our own God. And God says, those are my own sons. I want you to have that experience with the Lord. God was interested in their experience all that time. And I know it might be dark for you. You might be facing every difficult thing in your life. You might not know what the next 24 hours are going to unfold in your experience. But God knows about it already. Would you believe that and trust him and leave it to him and let him guide you through it? Would you glorify his name? Would you let him know you trust him? Would you let him know that you are satisfied to have him alone Only to know that he knows. Only to know that he cares. Only to know that he is aware. Though you have no idea what he plans to do about it. That's that's not for you to know. You just leave that with God. God can take it from here in your life. Would you believe him for that?
becomes your own God when you can do that. But when you must manipulate and control and have the answer and see it before you can believe it, it's not your own God. It's another God. It's not this God that these dear people knew about. And so here we are, we're facing, we're facing a very, very difficult thing in life. And I don't know what it is in your case, but you're facing it. And, and you might think you're facing this thing nearly alone, but you have enough of, you have enough of understanding, you have enough of Bible knowledge, you have enough of religion, you have enough of teaching in your past to know there's a God in heaven and you feel that this God is, is looking at you to see how you're going to get through it. And some of us think that we're in these difficult t- times that God's got his, uh, he got, God's got his, uh, his horse whip in his one hand, and he's got a sledgehammer in the other, and he's watching to see how we respond to it. And if we don't respond to this thing right, it's going to be a cracking of this whip. Some of us have that understanding of God. And we have this God that is uh, making it difficult for me, and, and I can't get through it, and I don't understand how I'm going to get by, but, but we got this God up there that could do something bad, but he just is simply testing me and trying me and, te- and trying me out. Some people feel that way about God. It feels different. Instead of having this God that's just up there, observing to see how we respond to it, observing to see how long we can stand it, observing to see how we're going to struggle to get through it, we have this concept of God. Oh, I'm facing this. I'm not alone. God, God, you, you know about that. You know what to do about that. You know, I, I, I don't know what to do about that. Dear, dear God, I, I don't know what to do. But I'm glad you are here. And you know what to do when I don't know what to do. And we include God with it. And he participates with us in it. And we're not alone in what we're facing. That's our own God. When that is the way we relate to God. And I want you... All to relate to God that way. I am my beloved's. In my beloved's mind, he brings a poor, vile sinner into his house of wine. I stand upon his promise. I know no other stand, not even where glory dwelleth. In Emmanuel's land, Moses must have had that relationship with God. But we're speaking of faith here. Yes, faith comes by hearing the word of God. But Jesus said to his disciples, have faith in God. And this is our problem. We don't have faith in what God can do. We, 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 we have certain understanding. We have a certain religion. We have a certain concept. We have certain uh, theology of what God is and what he does and who he is, what he represents. But he doesn't walk with us and live with us and doesn't take over. He's not in charge. doesn't have full access. We, we, we don't have that trusting relationship in him. As we could have and should have. I remember there in the classroom in a neighboring county to where we are tonight. We had a teacher there that liked to draw birds on the blackboard with colored chalks. And then the students would draw them on their papers. So this is a cardinal or this is a blue bird or this is a blue jay or this is a robin. And those birds are not all made the same. Their body shapes are different. Their colors are different. Their wings are different. Their tails are different. Their beaks are different. Their heads are different. And so back here is Bobby. And he's got his pencil. And he's trying to draw this bird. And Bobby begins to cry. The teacher walks back and sees Bobby crying. What's wrong, Bobby? Why, my mind, mind doesn't look like a bird. My mind doesn't look like a bird at all. And he had taken his pencil and pressed down so hard on the paper that then when he needed to erase it, he, he made a hole in the paper. And that didn't look like a bird either. And it was a, a mess there. And so the teacher said to Bobby, Bobby, pick up your pencil. And Bobby picked up his pencil. And then his teacher put his hand around Bobby's hand. Are you listening? And then the pencil began to move on the paper. 
And as the pencil moved into paper, a bird began to form the paper. And Bobby stopped crying. <laughs> Bobby got a smile on his face. And there's a, a bird on his paper. And, and now Bobby, do you think you can color your birdie? Yes, I can color the bird. And he colored his birdie. You know who I'm talking about? Bobby is Dale. I'm Bobby. There's all kinds of things in life that I can't do and all kinds of birds I can't draw. There are all kinds of circumstances in life that I can't face. But a hand comes, takes a hold, and can do what we cannot do. And we can trust him. We can believe him in our lives that he's our God when that happens in our lives. That's what we're talking about tonight. Well, I'm going to stop with an illustration or two. There's more theology here we could look at. Although I'm trying to keep this simple. I thought maybe... A few stories would be helpful to understand what it's like to live with, walk with, experience the presence of our own God. This is June 2017. The month of June, 48 years ago. I remember, here's the old man dreaming again. I remember 48 years ago. The month of June. 1969. We've been serving during the Vietnam War for two years in alternate service in a hospital in Hanover, New Hampshire. The two years were coming to an end, and my wife and I had to decide what we're going to do with our lives after these two years of service were over. And we were attending a little mission congregation in a little village in the state of Vermont called Tassville, Vermont. And the people of that congregation had told us that they would really like if we would stay and continue to be part of their little congregation up there. But we had this family in Pennsylvania where we had been born, my wife and I, and we were thinking of returning back here, but we decided... That with the uncertainty of our situation, we would spend a day in fasting and prayer about that decision. And so we agreed upon what day this is going to be. And on that day, several interesting things happened. We lived in a little town of Wilder, Vermont. And right down the road, across it, and around the corner, there was a post office there. And then there were the post office boxes. And we'd walk down there about once a day and get our mail. That's something we don't do in Costa Rica. And so I went down there and opened up our mailbox and there was a letter in there. This letter was from a mother who was not a member of our congregation that we were attending. But I was teaching the youth Sunday school class in that church. And I had several students there whose parents did not come to church there. And this mother was one of them. And she wrote a letter to me and we got on that day saying, You have been our children's teacher in the Sunday school. And I just thought I'd like you to know that we really appreciate and our children appreciate the class. And I was just hoping that you would continue to teach our children. Would you be willing to stay and continue to teach our children? I never received a letter from that lady before nor since, but on that day that letter came. And then that evening... The same day, we had decided to put some Sunday school rooms in our little church. We had no Sunday school rooms, and we had no restroom in the church. And we decided to put a restroom in there, and we were building a nursery, a restroom, and two classrooms. And so we had a work evening that evening. The brothers of the congregation were together. And I was in one of these classrooms putting trim around the doorway. They're going to this classroom. 
When someone said, let's all go over to the nursery and see what we need for over here and measure and make sure we have all the materials we need to work in this nursery. And all the men left and left me up there. I was standing on a ladder and I was working this, putting this trim around there. And all everyone left and I was alone. And then one of the men came back in and came inside the door and looked up at me in the ladder. And here's what he said. Brother Dale. Are you aware of the fact that we need another minister in our congregation? We cannot continue on as we as we are. We need to minister for our church. And, and I thought I would like to tell you that you're going to be the next minister in our congregation. And he left. And his words startled me. I was only 21 years old. And a few months later, the bishops came from the state of Pennsylvania from the Franconia Conference and talked to the congregation about a minister and they gave nine names of nine college-trained, seminary-trained people that they thought might serve as ministers of this congregation. And so time went by, some months went by, they contacted each one of these nine men and not one of them was able to come to serve in our congregation. Then some more time went by, they made another decision, they'll try to choose somebody from our local body there just from among the congregation and so it was that in June 48 years ago I was called to the ministry in that congregation those things have happened in our lives several times I'd like to ask you is that God at work in your life I'm going to tell you something else. The year was 1982. We were in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. Several of us were thinking that there's a need in among the churches in the area for a revival, for a work of God, a new among his people. There was a, there was a spirit of apathy in the churches. And technically we were right and Doctrinally, we were right, and we knew how to practice things right, but there was a dearth in the churches. There was a lack of life in the churches. So it was that we learned of two men that had been living in Russia, and they were expelled from Russia, and they were in West Germany, and they had been prisoners in Russia. We brought them over to this country to begin to teach and preach here in, in the New Holland area of Lancaster County. Johann Tuevs and Gerhard Hamm. And so we had a series of meetings and I was asked to speak the first night there and then these Russian brethren now living in Germany were going to speak to us too and someone was going to translate their messages. I preached the first night. And after that night was over, one of these Russian brethren was feeling very disturbed. He said, I... I just did not understand the words of that man's sermon because he preached in English, but something was wrong with the spirit of his sermon. And so someone came to me and told me that. And it was kind of an offense to me, you know, what's going on here? And uh, we had a prayer meeting before the service. And I was, I was, I prayed first, you know, I was kind of a leader there among those people. And I kind of prayed first. And then when I prayed, you know, the... Heaven shook and the, the ropes pulled up there to the heavens and jerked on things up there to make things happen. And and it got kind of loud, I guess. And we got kind of, uh, you know how that must have been at that time. And and then Gerhard was right beside me. He was going to pray next. He prayed like the Russians do. He was on his knees, but his body was erect. And he had his hands folded like this. Head down, eyes closed. And after I was finished with all my rantings and goings-on, he said, Oh, God. Quiet. He said nothing else. I felt so convicted and so disturbed and so out of order and so immature and so carnal, I felt terribly small. And then Gerhard said, Oh, God. 
Everything was quiet. And I decided that I was going to open my life to those brethren and let them tell me what they saw wrong in my attitude, spirit, behavior. And they were graciously tried to help me with that. We became very close friends. And then I began to think. For God so loved a young preacher, Dale, that he sent his Holy Spirit into Russia and put one man in jail four times, another one in jail who knows how many times. And the whole story of what God did to then expel them from Russia, bring them to West Germany, through a unique contact we learned about them, brought them to America. Because God so loved Dale, they wanted to perfect him and change him and enable him and purify a wrong nature, a wrong spirit. When I began to see the holy things that God did, because he loved, the holy work that God did, Johann Twebs was in prison four times. The first time he was in prison, they thought they had captured a Christian. They brought him in for interrogation. They said, you're a Christian. You're with these Christians. And Johann said, I'm sorry. I was with those Christians. I wish I was a Christian. I need to be a Christian. I have never been a Christian. But I must become a Christian. You see, I had this truck. So they asked me if I would drive them to this meeting out in the forest. And I drove them out there because I have a truck. But they're the Christians. And I'm not a Christian. And I just was helping them out. But I wish I was a Christian. I hope if I ever get in jail again, it's because I am a Christian. He became a Christian. He was jailed three times further for his faith. And that dear brother comes into my life. To help and encourage and give direction. Our own God. And we can hear about him with the hearing of the ear. But then whether we're blind or not. Our eye can see him. And we can know him for ourselves and not another. We know him as our own God. And I ask you tonight. Is he your own God? And do you know him? Is he actually involved in your life? And what is he doing for you? And can you trust him with it? And I don't know how difficult your day tomorrow is going to be. But will God be there when you get there? And can you trust him and believe that he will have the answers for you? And can you thank him for it before it happens? Can you place your hand in his? Or let him place his hand around yours? And take control of your life? Or are you so capable and able to handle life by yourself that you'll need the Holy One of Israel, the Almighty One? To bless you. God, even our own God, shall bless us. Let us pray. Hey, Father, this is your desire tonight. This is the work that you want to do in each of our lives. This is the mercy and the grace that you extend to us. And this is the interest that you take in us. And this is the first purpose and plans that you have for us. And though we may not have chosen what you have chosen for us tonight, we bow our hearts before the Holy One of Israel. We surrender ourselves to a will that's greater than our own. And his ways are higher than our ways. And his thoughts are greater than our thoughts. And we say, yes, Lord, to the God of heaven. And we say, thy will be done. Though we don't understand how you're going to get us through it. But we've seen enough of evidence. We've heard enough of stories. We've seen enough of the Bible record. That our faith reaches up to heaven and takes hold of the hand of God. And we believe that you're for us and tonight you're on the throne on our behalf. And your spirit is interceding. You're pleading for our lives. You want to take care of us tonight. Can we believe that? And we trust you. And we come by faith and ask you to take control of life circumstances that are way too big for us. We ask you to bless us the way that you've seen best whether by life or by death, whether by sickness or by health, whether in America or in a foreign land, we ask your holy will to be done in the lives of each one of us. And we trust you tonight and believe you and ask you to pick up our pencil 
and help us do those tasks in life that we're unable to do ourselves. And trust you to do it for your honor and glory, because you, O Lamb of God, are worthy. And we pray in his name. Amen. I'd just like to ask you, is there somebody here tonight that does not know this God in this way? And you need to know God this way in your life. And we'd sing a song. And as we'd sing a song, you'd come here and kneel down here and speak to this God and open your life to this God. Let it minister to your heart. And we'll pray for you and with you and help you to believe that he who has begun this great work in your life to call you by this faith will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ because he's a plan for you that he has for nobody else. And he wants to receive you as his, as his own child and for you to receive him as your own God. And would you come tonight as we would sing a song and would you, dear brother, lead us in two stanzas of a hymn. Number 55. And would you come, as we sing these stanzas, would you come?